Uh, may you be blessed in the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Today's topic is probably the least likely that would be pleasing to an audience. So you're not going to be entertained today. Nothing you hear today will give you the warm fuzzies. It's rarely addressed from, an, from the topic is rarely addressed from American pulpits. Thirty years ago, I taught a Sunday school class in an area church. It was the largest class at the church at the time. Studied Old and New Testament books over a period of two to three years. Great class, and we had wonderful fellowship. Until I announced that I would like to teach on suffering. The next week after I announced that I wanted to do that, the class went from thirty. There was my co-teacher, myself, and one student. That class didn't last very long. I guess nobody wants to talk about unpleasant subjects. That's really why I chose this. The purpose. Of This is a message that was modeled after a sermon preached by David Wilkerson. I'm sure all of you have heard of him. He's a great, wonderful pastor at uh, Times Square Church in New York City. This sermon was preached, topic was preached on 2011, and he since has gone to be with the Lord. He was a wonderful, uh, great preacher and prophet. He's a senior pastor at Times Square Church, author of The Cross in the Scripture. This is a story about the gangs in New York in the 50s. 1950s, pretty wild. One of the one of the characters, yeah, character, Spanish fellow named Nicky Cruz. This is a story about his conversion. He actually made a book and then a movie afterward. If you ever have an opportunity, if you haven't seen it, have an opportunity to take take a look at it. Pat Boone was the uh, the pastor in that. Now uh, David Wilkerson certainly deserves the credit for for choosing this theme. He was also famous for dealing with other unpopular popular topics. Hence, you might think that this is a little unusual for a message that was designed to be encouraging. Many men and women of faith have proved the veracity of this issue over a period of about 6,000 years. They have Christian. Most people in the world and many Christians question the reason for their troubles. We all have them. Today we're going to look at some of the afflictions or trials, since we all have them, don't we? We're going to look at some Old Testament and some New Testament characters that were afflicted, why they were, maybe even address some of our own trials and afflictions. The scripture instructs us to live godly lives that we might please him and avoid consequences when we're out of, out of step with him. When we're faced with problems, then we should look to, look to the promises in scripture to deal with those problems. So when you're thinking about your problems, just think promises at the same time. First three letters are the same. same. Promises, problems. We have so many opportunities to trust in him to keep his promises. When trouble surrounds us and we lie awake at night, wondering what we should do, we should examine ourselves to determine if we're out of step with our Lord. If this might be the cause of our trial or affliction, or, we're facing the con- or if we're facing the consequences of our actions or poor decisions. The reason why we want to start here about addressing sin is because if we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're sinning constantly. And we do have the power to change that in the shortest time possible. Because the, the word of God gives us, gives us the remedy for that. You all know it. Confession is the only way that we can be sure to get back on track with God. First John 1 John 1.8 and 1.9 it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we know how 
to reinstate our most intimate fellowship with him. Since we commit sins all the time, chances are pretty good we'll hit the mark by taking this step. If God is speaking to you about a sin, then there is a quick remedy to get back in step with him in his good graces. We have his word that he will respond to our confession and prayer. We have his promise. He keeps his promises. He's not like a mortal man who fails to deliver, even as sincere as he, as he is. If you're wondering whether God is afflicting you or Satan, consider these verses. You might be surprised that God is the author of your affliction. Let me say that again. God is the author. Let's consider the following verses. Psalm 119, verse 67. It reads, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I keep your word. I didn't straighten out until I was afflicted. I wrote that. I added that to it. Verse 71, David says, It's good that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. In verse 75, he goes on to say, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me and caused me to walk uprightly. 92, he continues, he says, Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. A very unlikely place that I looked at his lamentation. Not unlikely, but we don't read it very often. I don't. In Lamentations 3.32 and 3.33, Jeremiah states that the Lord will not cast off forever those he causes grief. Causes grief? The Lord causes us grief. Yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict those willingly, nor grieve the children of men. God doesn't delight in your pain, but he allows it. You, if you are a child of God, ask him to remove your suffering. You're allowed to do that. Don't give him terms and conditions or a deadline. He's not constrained or controlled by that, your timetable and your goals. If you're not one of his, and you're going to have to endure the pain by yourself without the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We have confidence in his word, but not in our attempts. We have no power in ourselves to change our circumstances, no matter how well-intentioned we are. If his purpose is to correct us in some area of our life, then confession should take care of that. That is the reason for the affliction. He sees the big picture. He knows what he's trying to accomplish in you and how long it will take. If you're going to be useful in the kingdom of God, you will need some training. You'll have to go to boot camp to learn the art of spiritual warfare. Too many people have been promoted before their training was complete created havoc in the churches, other organizations, as well as the body of believers. In business, we call it the Peter Principle. You know, getting promoted to the highest level of your incompetency. As a result, heresy has crept into the church by these immature believers. They have taught error. Mature leaders, though, have been tried by fire and tested, found worthy to serve in the kingdom of God. I'd like to speak of a few of these examples. Some of them are very familiar to you. Abraham was 
called out of Ur. He was tested like no man was. He aced it. He became the father of many nations and the father of all believers. Moses was tested for a while in the desert after he killed the Egyptian. Then again, when he led Israel out of Egypt, he still did not get into the promised land. David was anointed king as a boy, but didn't get the crown until he was mature enough. The last few verses in Psalm 119 demonstrates his maturity. He finally arrived. In verse 174, David says, I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you. Let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. He knew the word of God and relied upon it. All of the fathers of the faith experienced trials and tests without the benefit of seeing where they were going and any foreknowledge of their, their purpose with a trust in the word of God. Paul was trained in the desert for a long, long while before his ministry started, after his conversion on the road to Damascus. The Lord said to him, I'll show you, Saul, how many things you must suffer for my name's sake. How many of us would have willingly suffered as he did? In 2 Corinthians 11.23, Paul lists his trials. He's, he claims himself that he speaks as a fool. He labored more, he received more stripes. He'd been imprisoned more frequently. Five times he received 40 stripes minus one. For you math wizards, that's 39. Three times he was beaten with rods, once was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked a day and a night. He had been in perils in the deep, in journeys often, in perils often, in perils of robbers, in perils of his own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, weariness and toil, sleepiness often, hunger and thirst, Fastings often, and cold and nakedness, besides other things. His life was pretty tough. Job was tested with the loss of his wife and children and all his possessions, yet he never lost faith. He debated with God, though, over the reasons for his afflictions. He nonetheless accepted that he could not know what was ahead. He yielded to God was blessed beyond measure. God restored to him all that he had taken away from him. Johnny Erickson Tata, most of you know know her, was injured in a diving accident 40 years ago when she was 17 years old and was paralyzed, totally paralyzed, lost the use of her arms and legs. She has demonstrated extreme faith and dependence on God. As a sought-after author and speaker, today she heads up a disability ministry out of California. 
she trusted in God's plan for her life, made the most of a bad situation. It's not that she didn't go through depression. If you read a little bit or hear some of her story, she did experience a period of depression before she actually started the ministry. Your trials might be heavy now. You don't know what God's plan is for your life. Your test might be for a day. It might be for a month or a year or even 20 years. You just don't know how soon your deliverance will be. Could be just around the corner. The Lord may decide to deliver you on the other side. I'd like to paraphrase the following psalm, which is Psalm 77. Here Asaph cries out to God and begs him not to cast him aside. But realizes that God's mercy, God's tender mercy towards him. God uses these trials to build character in us. It's like gold being refined in the furnace of affliction. In other words, he treats you like gold. He purges you and perfects you till you're valuable to him in the kingdom of God. We've been told at times that Satan afflicts us. And sometimes he does. But he cannot touch one of God's anointed without his permission. But God allows it sometimes for his own purposes. He's still on the throne. Sometimes we have to accept that we won't know the reason. We just cannot trust our, our understanding. But we do know that he will never leave us. Or forsake us. You trust Jesus for your salvation, not your good works. Do you think Paul would ever accuse God of treating him back badly with all that he endured? Or any of the other faithful fathers for that matter? Paul prayed three times about a thorn in the flesh and was told that he would have to endure it. He kept his eye on the goal set before him, and finish the race with honor and dignity. Do you believe that Paul would have been such an effective teacher or evangelist if he didn't go through all the trials that he did? That's how he learned. That's a training program, isn't it? How many of us would have been saved because of his willingness, have been saved because of his willingness to suffer for the gospel's sake? How many churches were planted by him or his followers? I would say probably the most of them, most of them in the world today, right? When Jesus drafted him into service on the way to Damascus, he told him he would suffer many things for his sake. God does not delight in your pain. He wants to increase your faith and deliver you from your troubles so that you may have peace and security in his word useful to him. So why are you so surprised to be faced with this current struggle? Didn't Jesus tell his disciples that they would have trouble in this life? He didn't promise them a bowl of cherries, although some people act like they, they're entitled to everything. Didn't he say if the world hated him, they would hate us also? So this should come as no surprise. Jesus is not very popular today. If he were running for public office on the born-again platform, he probably would not get elected. 
Look at the flack that our Vice President Michael Pence has put up with. His words are twisted, his motives are questioned, and he lives under a microscope. The liberal press has been on a witch hunt since he was declared, since he declared that he was born again believer in Jesus Christ. When we finally leave this place, I don't mean the church, I mean this place. We have a wonderful promise that we'll be with him in eternity with no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There should be no more pain, no more disappointment. For the former things will have passed away. It won't be too hot. It won't be too cold. It won't be too humid or too dry. It'll be just right. When he saved you, he gave you a number of gifts for use of for edification of the church. By the way, belly aching wasn't one of them. We all have troubles, but how we handle them makes all the difference in the world. You can be cheerful or you can be grumpy. Our attitude affects all that we do. It affects all our interactions with the people around us. Chuck Swindoll, who was a popular radio preacher, nailed it when he said that we control very little in life, but we can control our attitude. Chuck said, attitude is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, more important than education, more important than successes or failures, or what others may think or say or do. He went on to say that life is 10% what happens to me, and 90% how I react to it. That's not the gospel, but it's highly observant of him and a wise conclusion to life in general. Don't you agree? We are in charge of our attitudes. A dear saint comes to my mind as I think about attitude. Julius Buckley, rest his soul. He was a shining example of a great attitude. If anyone had cause to complain, he did. He praised his Lord and never complained or had an unkind word to say about anyone. He longed to read the scripture, but he was blind. He waited patiently for his healing. It never did come here on earth. He was a praying man, a trusting man. I think about him every now and then, especially when I hear griping about life's annoyances. Then I remember what I heard said a long time ago. I complained about my shoes till I met a man with no feet. Some of us have a heavy burden to bear. We bravely endure it by faith. Some, though, have a light load. These have a great opportunity to minister to others. Sometimes we look at each, other's, uh, each other and think, that person has an easy life. His burden is light might think differently if you walked in his shoes. You never really know what's going on in somebody's life. The Bible tells us not to judge a matter before it's time. You never know what is in a man's heart. Jesus will judge all things righteously when he comes again. That could be sooner than you think. Are you walking with him and enduring your afflictions? Or are you complaining about some little Only you can answer that. 
like us to pray about matter, any matters that need healing with the Lord. Do it at that, this time or sometime today. I'd like to close with this word. Thank you, Lord, for saving us from our sins and sparing us from judgment. Thank you for calling us into your kingdom. Thank you for your provision, your peace, your security. Forgive us, Lord, for being petty, not giving you thanks for all your blessings. Yes, even our afflictions. Teach us to walk in our ways, your ways.